Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 319 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is May 5th, 2014. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everybody. Hope you had a good weekend and enjoying maybe a Mexican cerveza, something to have some fun. Uh, happy Cinco de Mayo. Just want to let you know we have a big show for you this week on the podcast. Dan Weber, Coach Harvey Hyde, as usual, but we have a lot of questions from you guys about USC spring football. So we'll get into all of that. Uh, if we do love to hear from you, those questions or comments, keep sending them in. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or you can call us at 206-888-6755 is our number. Or go to peristylepodcast.com. That's our website. And you can leave a voicemail uh, right on your computer, right on our webpage and do that. You can also tweet us too. I'm at Inside Troy. Coach Harvey Hyde is at Coach Harvey Hyde. He's doing the Twitter thing now and joins us on the phone. What's up, Coach? How you doing? I'm doing great, buddy. Whenever I can talk with you and uh, answer questions for all of our listeners and uh, give my opinion and have fun with everyone on a beautiful Monday morning, what's better than that? Nothing better than that. It's, it's fun to talk football. We're in May. May evaluations going on, so just a lot of recruiting stuff, but we still have team questions, new coaching staff, new schemes, so there are a lot of questions being generated. wanted to thank our sponsor before we jump into all that. Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com is the website, or you can call them at 1-800-888-7287. Clippers are still alive. Kings and Ducks going on in the playoffs. Lots of crazy stuff. That was a crazy uh, overtime game. Lots of weird stuff going on. So, cool stuff. Uh, Coach, I wanted to jump in right with a voicemail question. A former player of yours actually calling in. Uh, So, here he is. Here you go. Hey, Coach Harvey Hyde, Marcus Smith here. Played with you in 1980. I was here from Crenshaw. Hey, man, hope all is well. Uh, I'm a pastor now here in Oklahoma City, but uh, definitely Oklahoma City's number one USC fan. Problem I'm having, man, I'm looking at the, the, team, the team. I'm really concerned about the running game. I, I hear a lot about uh, uh, Bishop Sankey, but I feel like USC has some comparable running backs, I mean, good guys. And I, I'm really concerned about that, uh, the running game. And, and I'm, I'm just really not ready to just go total shotgun and and just abandon the student body right left. I know that you can kind of do that out of the shotgun, a version of it. But uh, I just it's hard for me to get used to this new offense at USC, and so I'm kind of concerned about that. What do you think? First of all, it's always great to hear from ex-players, and I want to say, Marcus, hope things are going well for you. Thank you very much for being a part of our program. And uh, always enjoy talking to not only former players, but Crenshaw High School was a big high school for us when I was at Pasadena City College and UNLV. And they put out a lot of players, not only for me, but how about USC with Marcus Martin and Hayes Pillard and the rest of them that have come out of Crenshaw High School that are also playing at other great high schools throughout the country. But to get to Marcus's, uh, Marcus's questions here, he, he has a long question, so I'll try to answer it. First of all, the running game, too, I'm very concerned about. I think you have to run the football in order to be a great football team. Of course, defense is part of the game, 
if defense wins championships and offense, I think the part of the offense that wins championships is your running game. Whenever you've seen a great passing game, you've also seen great running games. Even if your running game comes off as a pass like it does it at uh, Oregon and some of these teams that run the hurry-up offense and the spread offense with the gun formation, they're still able to run the football and have great breakaway speed and make big plays. And when you transition from uh, the student body right, uh, the sweeps, uh, all that type of power type of offensive game back to the hurry-up offense, it's a completely different philosophy. It's uh, rather than smash-mouth you, as far as with the physical type of the football game, it's more or less a chess game. Uh, you spread the field, uh, see what you do with it, match my great athletes against your athletes, try to figure where your weakness is in your defense, and take advantage of it. But I always have felt, and you've heard me say this all along, you've got to run the football. I agree with you. I think that USC's crop of running backs are as good as any crop in the nation. They don't even need to recruit one this year, obviously. They probably will in this coming 2015 class, but they've got great running backs. And you've heard me always talk about Marcus and all you listeners out there. I would try to run a two-back set. With these type of running backs that USC has, you've got to get them on the field. Now, they have great receivers, too. Don't get me wrong. I think they have great receivers. And with Bryce Dixon coming in and the other receivers that will be coming in, I don't know where Jackson will be playing or Juju Smith, where he'll be playing, but they've got great receivers, so you take advantage of them, too. But you've got to run the football. You've got to have the threat of running the football. And we've always said the big question mark on USC's line, not only this year, but last year with the offensive line. Are they physical? Can they beat up people? Can they get after people? Now, this new spread offense, you take larger splits, and you more or less turn block. You take them the way they want to go, and the back finds a seam, and so on and so on. Well, you do that, too, and you can still be physical. You heard me last week talk about I never saw them work uh, a lot, in, in fact, during the spring game on any type of goal line situations. Now, they have worked on it during the spring when they're down there in spring practice, and they work on the goal line passing game and running the game down there. But I think you've got to be real physical in order to get in down there on the goal line. But, you know, uh, in this in this type of offense, you 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 plan on scoring quickly. You plan on going on fourth down. It's, like I mentioned last week, you see Oregon go on fourth down all the time. So, but I still feel you have to be physical to play the game of football, not only defensively but offensively. I like to challenge my offense to making short yardage plays physically. And I do agree that, you know, you've got to remember now, ladies and gentlemen out there that are listening, over the past couple of years, not the year before, but USC's won 10 football games. And it was always, you know, they, they ran the football, but they didn't believe in running the football. They were passing the football. And they did not have a bad offensive game. When you score, win 10 games, uh, two of the last three years, you're doing pretty good. And when you consider the games that USC lost uh, in high-scoring games in the last seconds against people, uh, the Arizona game, just to mention the, the Stanford game and other games, they could have had an unbelievable record in running the offense that they had if they had developed a running game a little bit more and been more complete football team on offense. Uh, but they weren't. They stick to the series, uh, have reasons for calling plays, don't burn out plays, don't be predictable, all of the above. But yet the athletes at USC have been good enough to perform them anyway. 
They still jam it down. Even if you know what play's coming, they've still been able to do that on offense under Lane Kiffin and his play calling. So, yes, it is a change of philosophy. And if it works, everyone will be excited. If it doesn't work, people will want to know, why did you go to this? We only have one back on the field. It's blah, 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 whatever you, whatever, you know, the people like myself who second-guess people. I don't want to call I second-guess people, but I give you my opinion of what I see on the field. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Marcus, I'm concerned, too, about the running game and the new offense. I think defensively they'll be pretty good next year at USC. I really think they got better in the spring. I think they, they're going to be uh, uh, more sound, nothing against Clancy, uh, Pentagrass, but they, I didn't believe they were a sound defense. They gambled a lot and gave up some big plays, which they shouldn't have given up. You heard me talk about the UCLA game. Ed Orgeron might have been the head football coach still at USC if they'd have slowed down UCLA. It was a very poor performance defensively and offensively against U- UCLA. So, uh, yes, uh, I think that they're better defensively. Offensively, I'll have to see exactly how they come along. I didn't think they really looked that great in the spring because the running game wasn't there. But the offensive line wasn't there for a full tack, too. And you can't play big if you're not big up front and physical up front. So we'll see what happens. We talked about this last week, the number one area that needs to be improved with the USC football team. I don't think it's a secret with the coaches, with anyone that knows football. It's bringing the offensive line along. All right, Coach, let's move on to Gene in uh, Orange County. He says, with spring football over, now that the players work out on their own, are these structured practices? I know the coaches can't attend practice, but do they set up the practices and are they aware of who shows up and who doesn't? Are the coaches closer to these practices than we might think? I would like to ask Coach Hyde how he handled the summer workouts with his time at UNLV and how involved the coaches were. And then he said, I'm really looking forward to this season. USC should be very good this year, and I think Steve Sarkeesian will turn out to be a great coach. Thanks from Gene in Orange County. Well, I certainly hope that Steve Sarkeesian turns out to be a great coach, too, because it makes it a lot easier. He's he's in a position. He's at one of the greatest traditional football colleges or universities in the nation. So we'll see what happens. Uh, As far as summer workouts are concerned, people would be naive, or I'd be naive, and you guys would say, I'm not telling you the truth if I didn't know what was going on. I mean, all of us know what's going on, not only on the field, but in the weight room and in the classroom and, and all of the above. If I'm not, I'm not getting, I'm not doing my job. The people say I can't go on the field, I can't go in the weight room. All right, I don't have to go in there, but I got coaches I hired that are in there. I got academic advisors that are telling me about the, the classroom and how these players are doing in the classroom, and I'm responsible for all aspects of the football program. I'm held accountable. If the players don't graduate, who do they say? It's not the players' fault. It's my fault. It's our academic system's fault, which falls under me as far as motivating my academic advisors to get the job done. So I'm, I'm aware of everything, everything. I get a roll sheet every day telling me who's in the weight room or who didn't show up in the weight room. They might be called voluntary, but they're not voluntary because I know who's there. <laughs> and if they're not there... I make sure they are there in one way or another. And uh, I also know what's happening in the classroom because I have a report every day, and I want to know who's not going to class. 
And I used to break this down with my assistant coaches. They were responsible for the area that they coached. And I would hold them accountable. If, my, if, uh, if the defensive back players aren't going to class, I would tell, as you've heard me before say, to my defensive backfield coach, hey, I can get a lot of defensive backfield coaches, but I need players. You better make sure that we forecast them and we tend to them off the field as much as on the field and rehab and all the things that fall under the, your position with your players. So, yeah, I want to know if the players are getting training, too. And if the trainer comes to me and he tells me, Coach, I went to your, de- my, your defensive backfield coach and I told him that uh, Chris Hawkins is not coming in for rehab, and I just threw this name out. First thing I'd do is I'd call him my assistant uh, or my defensive backfield coach, and I'd say, what's the deal with Chris Hawkins? And if he said to me, what's the deal? I would say, yeah, what's the deal? You're supposed to know what the deal is when I bring his name up. And I should say, why isn't he in rehab? And if he told me, well, I didn't know he wasn't going, well, it's your job to know he's not going. So it follows through in the weight room. It follows through in rehab. It follows through in the classroom. And it also follows through on what's happening on the field during the summer workouts. Now, summer workouts I liked but didn't like because – as you know, Stevie Mitchell got hurt in the summer workouts. Other players have gotten hurt in the summer workout. It gets a little bit too physical. You don't need to do a lot during summer workouts. Basically, you want to keep your tone. You want to be able to have the football around. But I think after a while, you get sick of seeing a the football. <laughs> there was times of the year I would take the football away from our team. I don't want you to be around the football. I wanted them to ask and beg me for a football because you can get burned out of these things. You need to get away from the game a little bit. I used to like to see my kids go to the beach maybe a day or two. So when they came back to football practice, they were ready for football practice. They weren't sick of football practice. And all of this going every day, working out every day in the summer, all this and that, going to summer school, going to weight room, hey, wait a minute. It's weighing above too much. And I think you can push a team, you can push a player too far. So I think these summer workouts, Ryan, you go to these summer workouts. I see them on videos and stuff. I mean, after a period of time, it's boring for you. Yeah, after a while. And, uh, you know, they actually didn't do a lot this winter. They usually do some after between the season ending, the bowl game, and spring football. I think they only did one or two workouts there, and then they do a lot in the summer. They're going to start up in June. They'll do a bunch in June and July. But and and I guess maybe to to further answer his question, the coaches can't be there. They're not allowed to see what's going on. But when they didn't really have a playbook, you know, so it's it's led by you know whoever the quarterback is. So Cody Kessler out there running it. When they didn't have a playbook, coach, they really weren't allowed to. They weren't allowed. It wasn't they weren't allowed. They didn't really have a reason to go out there because there wasn't anything specific they could work on. They could go throw the football around, but there wouldn't be any kind of direction. So I, I don't, the coaches can't really get their hands involved, but they, you know, the players could take their playbook out and, and work on things. And, you know, maybe the coaches talk about meetings, what they'd like to work on. Uh, but when they didn't really have a direction on offense, cause they hadn't, you know, met with the, the coaches all that much, they didn't do any of those off season workouts. That's usually what they're for. No, it's what they're for, but the question was, are the coaches aware of, of what's going out there? Out there, and Obviously, they are. Yeah, yeah. If they're course. not, they're not doing their job, okay? Right. 
They can't be there, but they could actually watch when we put videos up. They could watch those just because everyone can watch those. They could do that, and they can, you know, don't don't get me wrong. You you know what's going on in your entire program. If you're not, you're not, you shouldn't get paid for that money. Yeah, makes sense. All right, uh, well, that's a good one there. Let's go to Earl in West L.A. I thought this was interesting. He said, Ed Orgeron did a marvelous job unifying the team and rebuilding their confidence after the the start in Lane Kiffin's firing, after the bad start last year and Lane Kiffin's firing. Then Clay Helton took over, and uh, the coaching staff kept it going in the Las Vegas Bowl. What he was wondering was, or what he said, what I'm wondering is, is that outwardly it seems like Coach Steve Sarkeesian and his staff have somehow managed to retain that confidence and build on the family atmosphere that was already there. Does anyone see the same thing here? That's Earl in West L.A. No, I think it's been positive. I think it's been positive out at practice when I see them. I think the kids are happy. Like I mentioned, I met a couple of them. Uh, I think they're looking forward to the change. Uh, obviously, it's been a, a very uh, hard time for the players and coaches and fans and everybody during the past couple of years. I mean, 10 win seasons, but a lot of controversy attached to it where it hasn't been all surrounded with great football. You know, there's been some embarrassments along the way and the, the rest of it. But now everyone's looking forward to true football, and that's why I had such a big issue, and I'm not going to talk about it again on the spring game. I think people were going to the spring game to see some real football and get excited about football. Hardcore SC fans want football. Uh, I think that uh, the enthusiasm that Ed Orgeron brought to the program at USC was tremendous. The kids were starving. Kids were starving to, to rally behind somebody and play for somebody they liked and, and get out there and demonstrate their skills and just show up. And, 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 and I think that's what carried Ed Orgeron on the t- and the team. I think he won six games in conference. and You know, there was a bunch of positiveness towards the end of the season. Ed Orgeron came back, and they won, won six games, and, and then he didn't get the head coaching job, and there was a depression among the team. But then the team started thinking about, hey, we're going to a bowl game. Clay Helton's part of our staff. He's been through all this uh, season with us also. And we went to the Sun Bowl last year. We don't want to have a finish like we did in the Sun Bowl last year. We had to live with that the entire year. We hung our head. It was terrible. So let's go to the Las Vegas Bowl and let's win. And they went up there and they dominated. They just didn't win. They beat an undefeated team and dominated the team that was going to go to a BCS football game. They just didn't make it. But uh, they dominated. They came back. Cody Kessel was the most valuable player. They came back at a naming of a new head football coach. They felt good about themselves. And Steve Sarkeesian knew a lot of these players, so he came in and kept Clay Helton and kept T. Martin and and, uh, kept some people who were influential and knew these kids pretty well and rolled on. And now they've completed a great recruiting a class uh, finished uh, in the top 10 last year in some polls. So, so far it's been very positive. So uh, I think he's carried that optimism and you've got to continue carrying it through the summer, through the months, continue it with recruiting and then have a great football season. But again, as I've said a lot of times on the podcast, the PAC 12 is a very, very tough conference. So you've got to approach each game one game at a time to be successful. Count them up at the end. All right. Uh, kind of along the same lines, Coach, we've got Luke who wrote in, and he said he just watched an interview with Pete Carroll when he returned to USC, and 
he was explaining success and he mentioned winning almost every other sentence and he wouldn't go five minutes without saying winning at some at some way he said Pete try Pete said he tried to get Sarkeesian to be the head coach or he would have tried to get Sarkeesian to be the head coach if he ever left the program when you talk or listen to Steve Sarkeesian do you hear him talk about winning the same way that Pete Carroll does from listening to coach Harvey Hyde I hear winning a lot what is the coach's take on this that's from Luke well, Luke, thank you very much for checking in. Winning solves everything, okay? Winning is you can't be satisfied with anything but your bottom line, and that's a profit in your business, success in whatever you do, and you work too hard not to be successful, and that's winning, getting the W. Win ugly. Win any way you can. Just make sure you, you finish the block, you finish the game, and you're in the left-hand column. And I think Coach Pete Carroll made that a very, very important point where players realize that winning is what you're there to do. If you're going to practice this hard and put in these many hours, why not win and get the correct athletes and recruit well? Because by winning, it solves everything by not only on your current program, but in the future program. Whenever you talk about and, and listen to the, the podcast on, with Gerard Martinez and, 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 and Ryan Abraham, what are, these, what are these players saying? Oh, USC was one of my favorite programs when Reggie Bush was there and Pete Carroll was there. Why? Because they won. They were dominant. Kids that want to be great players want to be in great programs. So winning helps you in recruiting. Winning helps you in donations to the university. Winning helps you in every single aspect of your program. Morale, coaches' raises, new contracts alumni pride. So winning is the thing that you're, you're here to do. You're here to have a great program and have fun, but you don't have fun unless you win. And like I used to say, and I've said this all the time on our shows, I don't know if I've used it on this, I used to tell my players before the game, game don't screw up the party I planned for after the game. <laughs> don't screw it up because I've already ordered the pizza and invited my friends. And I know they feel the same way want to go out and pick up the newspaper in the morning, want to go out after the game and meet your parents and see your girlfriends and see the people, want to do that, and how does that happen? By winning the football game. Well, that makes sense, Coach. Winning winning solves a lot of problems. Uh, Let's see. Let's go to um, Jeff. He is – he's like, great work. I I run every Tuesday morning to the podcast. Well, thanks. It's good to get out there running, and I'm glad you're listening to the podcast while you're doing it. Uh, It's about T. Martin, Coach. He said he has shown that he can recruit with the best of them. However, how do you think he is as a quote-unquote coach? From what I've seen, he seems well-polished in the media, and the kids really seem to love him. Uh, But looking at his final years of, he called him Bob Wood, Robert Woods, and uh, and Mark Lee's college careers, both ended, and he calls them duds, uh, obviously compared to their previous year's campaigns is what he's saying. Do you think T. Martin's more of a recruiter player's coach, or does he possess some actual value from an X's and O's standpoint? He says, painting Altadena, Cardinal and Gold, it's Jeff. Jeff, uh, let me answer it this way. Uh, T. Martin is an outstanding recruiter. T. Martin, I believe, was recruiter of the year this year in the Pac-12. Is that correct, Ryan? He was, yeah, he was one of them for sure, yes. One of them for sure. Uh, he was one that helped hold the program together. He's done a great job of recruiting out of state. And if you look at the out of state players that are on the 
uh, USC roster right now, especially ones out of Florida, they're all players. Every single one of them are players. They're going to contribute to the program at USC. I think he does the job on the field. I think the players like him. He's all business, yet he can be friendly. He comes with a great uh, reputation, uh, and he's respected. He's, uh, he's going to be a head football coach in Division I football here shortly. He is going to be. He has the background to be one and a, a name that's recognizable to, to athletes and parents. Uh, You've got to remember, you can't uh, say, okay, what happened to Marquise Lee and what happened to Robert Woods. That wasn't T. Martin calling the plays. T. Martin teaches the routes, teaches the blocks, teaches the – uh, the whole package, but he doesn't make it happen. He's not the one uh, throwing to Woods a hundred times, a hundred catches, or Marquise Lee. I, I said this all along, and I'm not trying to uh, bring it up now after the fact. Woods got beat up. Marquise Lee got beat up. You heard me talking about Woods was catching a hundred passes and rushing the punter and and uh, returning punts and kickoff returns and everything else. Uh, that's what you call overdoing it. I'm not going to use the word I wanted to use, but that's what you call overdoing it. You're sure, players, like I used to hear, oh, players always want to play. Uh, players want to play every down. Well, sure they would. They'll, they'll play on defense, too, if you let them. But what's in the best interest of your team and the best interest of an individual student student-athlete as far as how you utilize them. And I think that those two players were utilized too much. They were great players, but you had other role players that could have been very much uh, beneficial to your football program. I think it may have opened them up more, Lee and Woods, to bigger plays, but they, 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 they beat them to death with certain type of routes and what they used, and if they couldn't hit them, the offense didn't work. So, uh, you know, I think that's not T. Martin at all. T. Martin does what he's supposed to do. T. Martin uh, uh, does a great recruiting job. Uh, I don't know if I've ever heard of it. And uh, I don't believe I've ever heard of a receiver being ineligible. Maybe there has been one or had to go to summer school. I think he's on top of his positions. I think his players like him. I think he's done a great job for the uh, receiver group that he coaches at USC. And as I mentioned earlier, he'll be a head football coach here shortly. Um, cool. All right. Great stuff there. Thanks for that question, uh, Nick, on T. Martin. And I agree. I mean, Marquis Lee won the Bolitnikoff Award. I think he's doing a, he's doing a pretty good job. Uh, a quick one here from Tarek. Do you see if Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick being the starting tight end for USC? Well, uh Right now, uh, at the end of spring, I do. It depends exactly what Steve Sarkeesian and Clay Helton decided to do with the offense. He's more of a physical type of blocking tight end. If they're going to keep the tight end in tight, tight yes, he, he's a better blocker probably than Telford or uh, Dixon coming in. I don't think Dixon can go inside. He's not physical enough. Chris Wilson, let's don't forget him. I, I liked him in the spring. I thought he did a good job. Let's just don't eliminate him. In fact, I would put him, too, on the depth chart. You think I'm kidding you until Telford came back and proved himself. Uh, if you're going to evaluate players correctly, you don't uh, have players come out and bust their you-know-what, and then all of a sudden in the spring they go back down. I think players got to earn their positions back. Uh, that's the same thing with uh, Walker, the same thing with Simmons, the same thing with anybody who was out hurt. 
Leonard Williams, uh, I don't know if he has to prove anything as far as winning his position back. But there's some players that uh, I think that Leonard Williams has held out because the coaches didn't want him in spring practice. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think he would be, especially if they're going to run a tight uh, tight end, which uh, Sarkeesian does a lot. Uh, they might substitute, substitute a lot if he's going to be uh, split and bring in Telford or bring in Dixon. But, uh, yes, he's number one as far as I'm concerned. As far as justifying it to the team, how can you do it any other way? He's been the guy that's been out there. So uh, we'll see. He's, I've watched him since high school, and it'll be interesting to see what he's doing out there on the field and in a game situation. So we'll, we'll pay attention to that. And uh, one last one for you, Coach. It's uh, Paul in Las Vegas. He says, I like coaches' opinions on the scholar-athlete status. Uh, it's a complex issue and ever-changing in the modern world. And uh, we, we all may have different opinions on that. I was a scholar-athlete at Arizona State before transferring and graduating from USC. My question is, coaches' opinions on if a player wants to leave before four years of attending and playing, should or does the university owe that player the right to come back and take free courses in order to graduate. That's Paul in Las Vegas. Well, uh, let me tell you, there's a lot of uh, football foundations that have been formed. We had one at UNLV that if a player played four years for us and say he was 10 units short or, or two courses short or whatever, and let's say he went and played in the NFL, or let's say he didn't even have the ability to play in the NFL, then our foundation would help this young man come back and graduate from college. What good is it to go and complete uh, whatever you have to complete now, number of units, and you're 10 units short, and why shouldn't you help this kid? So we had a foundation uh, where people donated to it to help and assist football players who were short as far as from graduating. So we would do that, but that player had to apply. It wasn't just an automatic thing. And uh, if a player went to the NFL and uh, said, said, let's say, financially had the funds to come back and graduate, then why would we be forced or felt that we should assist him? We would certainly help him in counseling, and we'd certainly help him in every area to make sure that he could graduate because it's, it's something that a kid goes to college for. And if a young man's coming back in the off season and wants to graduate, why shouldn't we help him? The higher our graduation rate, the better it is for us as a football program in a university. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that that is something good. And I think we should encourage uh, student athletes who don't graduate to come back and assist them in some form of graduating from college. I think it's great, and I think most universities should have this, and I think this is something, again, that should be brought up uh, and made maybe a mandatory type of foundation uh, with all the excess and the different uh, talks of scholarships now with money. There should be foundations or funds uh, to help student-athletes when they're completed their eligibility, and if they're five or six classes short or two classes short, that they can be assisted and their tuition taken care of so that they can graduate. I believe in that. All right, Coach. Well, thank you for your opinions on those and uh, lots of questions this week. So thanks for taking the time to answer all of them. And we'll uh, look forward to talking to you again next week about some more USC football stuff. 
Uh, I appreciate it very much. And people, if you need tickets to the Dodgers or any of these special events that are going on, how about the Clippers? Call Southern California Ticket Service. Ryan, you have the number. Give it out to them. Yeah, 1-800. Oh, let me make sure I have the number correct. Yeah, 1-800-888-7287 is the number. Or go to sctickets.com. Out of way, buddy. All right. Well, thanks again, Coach, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, everyone. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got Dan Weber joining us on the phone. What's going on, Dan? How you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Kind of in the middle when you're, um, you're far enough past spring now and you're Still pretty far away, even from uh, the summer workouts. So uh, this is the time of year when you can just kind of think about things and speculate about things. And uh, we see uh, little bits and pieces of, um, uh, I think the sporting news came out the other day. Uh, At least we heard the guy who's doing the the piece saying that they're going to pick Oklahoma as their number one team in college football for this coming year, which – kind of fits into what I'm, what I'm writing for this afternoon, which is that probably tells you that 2014, the first year we're getting into the 14 um, final four playoff, is probably really wide open because if they're picking, um, you know, Oklahoma as, as the number one team, that probably means they really don't have a, a real good idea who is number one or, you know, what it is about, you know, a team that's going to make them number one, which Makes for you know kind of a wide open year, really neat uh, neat looking year for you know the way 2014 is setting up. It does. I think it's, uh, it's great. Yeah, we can't wait for it to get here. It's still months away, but uh, we got lots yeah. to talk about before then. Um, and one of these things now going on is the uh, you know players are finishing up this semester, then they'll have summer workouts and stuff starting mostly in June. Um, Melvin had a few questions. He loves to send in lots of questions, but uh, he wanted to know when fall practice officially starts, and that's August 4th, if, unless that's changed. As of, as of right now, August 4th is when fall practice will start. Uh, but he wanted to know about these offseason workouts. He said, are there rules and regulations about players practicing between spring practice and the opening of fall practice? And if so, what happens if a player needs treatment for any kind of injury suffered during those voluntary workouts not supervised by the coaching staff, are they allowed to use USC facilities for treatment, weight room work, workouts, etc.? And the last part are, are new recruits, the ones coming in the fall, allowed to start practicing with these other players during the voluntary summer workouts? A lot of off-season workout questions from Melvin. Yeah, I think the answer would be yes um, to basically all of those. <laughs> uh, yeah, they could use the, you know, because essentially they're. Um, you know, they still do the weightlifting and the conditioning work. They still can work a certain number of hours a week with the uh, strength and conditioning staff. 
they're allowed two hours now a week with the football coaches to actually talk football, which is a, a new rule, and everybody's pleased about that. And uh, <clears throat> and if they yeah if they get injured or whatever, they're definitely uh, you know totally under the care of, of the school. And I would think at this point in time, the NCAA wouldn't even want to. As, as dumb as things as they, you know, might do, that's one they're not going near. You know, if the kid gets hurt, he's, uh, you know, you want everybody out there uh, immediately taking care of him, and uh, and so that that is the case. So, uh, and, and basically, the rule is that the football coaches can't be there when uh, when the uh, when the kids are actually have a football and are running plays. Uh, they've got to do it on their own. Uh, it's got to be voluntary. Uh, you can't uh, have a, a schedule where you require the kids to be there. It's one of the reasons we were, they were a little bit uh, worried about uh, videoing the, uh, the voluntary workouts, thinking that, well, some teams might use those videos to see who was there and who wasn't and, you know, make it not really voluntary. So, you know, but there aren't a lot of rules other than the coaches can't be there. They've got to be voluntary. And uh, the rest of it, they're, they're really a continuation of the, you know, strength and conditioning stuff. And, and the new guys are allowed once they, uh, you know, once they're here, once they're in school, then they can be, you know, completely part of the, uh, of the workouts. Uh, and we've seen occasionally where kids show up before they're in school but uh, technically, we're not. I'm not even sure what the rule is on that. Yeah, I mean, Ajay Harris, for example, was there uh, a couple of times in the, the winter, and uh, it, it certainly happened. And uh, I guess if you just happen to be on campus and they just happen to be throwing the ball around, you can you know, go out and catch it. Yeah, uh, I think that's how but, that works, Dan. Where they can do the seven on seven, like the throwing stuff with the team. And they used to even do, uh, you know, years ago, they would have, like, kind of uh, scrimmages, quote-unquote scrimmages against, like, El Camino College. They'd go out there and, and have, like, a seven-on-seven -seven game against them and, and have other guys, you know, even from other teams if they wanted to come work out. Like, we've seen stuff like that happen before. But I think they have to be enrolled in school if they want to do, like, the strength and conditioning program and that kind of stuff. But for the seven-on-seven, -seven, I think that's okay. And I, I'm not sure if they are hesitant about pushing that too hard just because of the injury possibility if you get real competitive and those things. So we haven't seen much of that lately. I do remember going down to El Camino a time or two and uh, and when things were pretty competitive. Uh, I haven't seen, we haven't seen that in a while. Yeah. And I think maybe partly because the USC, just because they're so careful about the numbers. And about injury possibilities and things like that. So, uh, so you know, well, so we we don't know all the rules, and we're never gonna, <laughs> and we don't want to, to be honest with you. That's why they have how many people, twelve, fourteen, whatever, working in compliance, and you know, one of the compliance guys has to be with them at all times, and uh, and then you even find out is much, you know, that's your whole job. You got a law degree, you know, you play college football, and you still end up coming around someday and saying, man, I didn't realize that was the rule because that rule book is ridiculously, you know, 
it's just a bunch of, I mean, this is where the NCAA really got off track, was when they basically thought, you know, if we just pass one more rule, then we'll fix everything. And that was like 9,000 rules ago. And then they wonder why, you know, people can't keep track of them, don't pay any attention to them. I mean, look at, for example, in the summer, the rule they gave us. Uh, because um, uh, the football players um, camps, or, I guess it was the football players' workouts, the one group of football players' workouts were, or were closed, the media couldn't go. But the basketball players' workouts aren't closed, so the media can go. It's like exactly opposite <laughs> uh, rulings for us. Like in, if the same day we'd come down for a football workout and a basketball workout, we'd be allowed to go to the, football, uh, the basketball workout by the NCAA rules, and we'd be told you can't go to the football workout by the same basic NCAA rule. And then you say, what's the logic in that? And you do, then you just laugh when you ask yourself that question. What logic? Why would logic yeah. have anything to do with <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, so if you're the SID, you know, see, you have to send out two completely different rulings for two teams about basically the same issue. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. But anyway, hopefully that gives you a little clarification of what's going on there, uh, Melvin, and thanks for the question, as always. Uh, let's move on to Terry and Dan. He says, how do you evaluate Kenny Bigelow's status? Uh, he was thought to be one of the most valuable uh, recruits in that lean year when we only brought in 12 guys, ended up signing 12 guys. Has he progress, Has his progress been less than hoped for? That's from Terry. I don't think they knew exactly what what they, you know, expected um, in terms of Kenny. I mean, and I know he said playing just four games and, and having that kind of odd situation he was in as a senior didn't, you know, hold him back. But I think it probably did, you know, to some extent. And he was, you know, a man among, you know, you know kids, I guess, if you want to call it that, at, his, at the level he was playing. And uh, I mean, it isn't the greatest high school football in that, you know, Philadelphia, Delaware, Maryland area. Um, and so I think everybody had the sense that, you know, he's got the strength and he's got, I mean, it, it, honestly, he could walk out with any NFL team in America and you'd look at him and say, man, look at that guy. And, and so I think it's just a matter of just learning how to play, learning how to disengage at the line of scrimmage, learning how to, you know, just developing more flexibility in his, uh, you know, in his ability to, you know, get to the football, for example, that kind of thing. Uh, and it just, it's going to take a little time. And I don't think it would be, you know, I mean, how many guys did we see, uh, you know, have we seen over the years at USC that, you know, didn't really uh, get there their first couple of years. And then they really got there. And especially with big linemen, I think, I don't think, I think that's more par for the course than, 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 you know, than the other way around. So, uh, so I, I wouldn't – I think it's here, obviously, really a crucial year. I mean, I think he learned a lot last year. He was a very willing, you know, redshirt uh, scout team participant, very much aware that I got a lot to learn, uh, very much wanted to, wants to, very enthusiastic kid, loves being at USC, loves what he's doing. So uh, I don't think, you know, we need to, to get all – 
overwrought about you know where where Kenny is and, and let him develop and uh, and see how it goes this year. And and I think you could be real hopeful because next year is the year I think possibly really going to need uh, Kenny Bigelow to uh, his talent to kick in. Um. Thanks for that, Dan. And uh, Kevin in South Orange County wanted to know about Bigelow, too, but he also wanted to know about Greg Townsend, Jr. He, he wants to know, uh, is are those guys, and you already talked about Bigelow, but are they first-line caliber guys currently, or do you think they're a year away? I think they're in the rotation. I mean, I think they're the, they're the reason USC has, it feels like they've got six or seven that they can rotate to those three, uh, you know, down linemen positions. And that's a big difference from last year. Uh, so uh, I was impressed with uh, having not seen Greg much during uh, during the uh, during spring. That you know we kept thinking he was getting closer and getting closer. But when he put the pads on, uh, I think we saw you know some flashes of of why he was so highly regarded. Uh, he looked like he felt good. It looked like he uh, you know was ready to play and. Uh, it looks like he would definitely be able to, you know, step in there. I mean, they're already, you know, you, you almost have to think at this point that they've got four absolutely first-team guys with Leonard Williams and Antoine Woods and Claude, you know, Pilon stepping up the way he did and joining Delvon Simmons. So, you know, if you look at that as here's your first-line group, four guys for three spots, and then you look at that, that next group with, uh, you know, Greg Townsend and, and, uh, uh, well, I mean, I'd put Cody Temple in there. Uh, again, <clears throat> he thinks that the slash surgery, uh, finally, uh, you know, clean, you know, he and DJ Morgan are kind of in the same boat where you keep, uh, keep hoping that that next procedure is the one that, that gets all that irritation out of there. And, 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 you know, when they go back in and do the same thing, but that gives you, uh, get, you know, him in there and, and Bigelow. So that gives you three more. So that's like a seven man, you know, group uh, of, of defensive linemen who you think, you know, at any time you could put them in a game and, and not have to worry. So I think that's what they want. They they clearly want to have, you know, a second group that they could rotate in. All right. He had one other question, Dan. Um, he said, what do you think is going to be, who do you see at being the punt and kickoff returners? for this year. I always thought that keeping Woods and Lee back there was a risk with injury. I understood why they wanted their best playmakers touching the ball, but it's concerning nonetheless if Aguilar is going to be in the same boat. That's Kevin and South OC. Uh, I wouldn't put Aguilar as the kickoff return guy. I, I, I think you have to use him as the, as the punt return guy. I don't think, I mean, when you're number two in the nation, I just think he has to be you know, in that spot and he's got some special skills and he does try to, you know, take it to the house and he's very competitive there. And, uh, but I, I don't think you need him also to be returning kickoffs. And then the kickoff return, uh, I think we're going to, you know, be interesting to see if that's where, you know, a freshman or so, um, you know, finds a place or uh, is that a, you know, a healthy DJ Morgan? Is there a place for him there with his, uh, his speed, you know, if he's healthy, uh, I don't think we know. I think the kickoff return guys, uh, I think that's, let's face it, they can't go anywhere but up. I think we're like 100 and something and kickoff return. They were really, you know, average like 14 yards of return or whatever, just hit one of the 
you know, was that a fluke or not? And it was hard to hard to imagine how the same team could be, you know, number two in the nation in punt returns and like number a hundred and something in, in kickoff returns. That just seems like two different, you know, universes. How how's that possible? But uh so I think they are gonna have to figure out exactly what to do on kickoff returns and I don't think they're gonna do it with Aguilar. I'd be surprised. Okay. Uh let's see. Next question. This is Earl in uh, West Los Angeles. Uh, as I understood it, one of the primary reasons for scrapping the BCS system in favor of a four-team playoff uh, was to level the playing field with the uh, exception, uh, excuse me, with the expectation that teams in the five power conferences would play a nine-game schedule. However, the SEC voted to retain an eight-game conference schedule. Are they just being arrogant in their determination to continue gaming the system? or just afraid they can't compete on a level playing field with the other power conferences. Kyle Whittingham appears to have hit the nail on the head when he said there is nothing fair about college football. That's Earl in West L.A. Yeah, he's right. And, and yeah, they did gain the system. They set up the BCS. They figured out, you know, hey, if we get, get to the championship game and that USC team that showed up against Oklahoma isn't there, we're in good shape. And they were right. And they got there, and there were years that had they had a USC team gotten there, uh, life wouldn't have been as easy for them. But uh, and they know things have changed. Playing a four, uh, the fourteen playoff is different. They're I think they're kind of you know rolling the dice here and seeing if because they they had like four different scenarios that they possibly were going to, and then they stayed basically with the same thing, and they threw that little silly little. But you all have to schedule one team from a power conference now. Don't everybody call, you know, uh, Colorado at once or, or whatever. But, uh, uh, you know, I think they're going to wait. They are very concerned about how is the 13-person committee going to evaluate strength of schedule. And I think, and I thought Stuart Mandel did a really nice job in SI the other day when he said, it's going to probably whack them. There will be a year come where there's three obvious teams, and then there's going to be a, a kind of a flip a coin for the fourth spot, and they're going to assume we're the SEC. We deserve that spot. And if the committee has any sense about it and really does believe the um, strength of schedule matters, they will punish the SEC for that because, I mean, I mean, it's really it's ridiculous. Basically, in the SEC now, you've got uh, 13 opponents that you could pick from. Well, you're going to miss five of those every single year, as they pointed out last year. Alabama missed all four of the top four teams in the East. Alabama didn't play a single one of those teams. I mean, I I was I wouldn't have been sure if last year was a 14 playoff, but Alabama would have made it. As much as there was this, you know, talk about how great they were and all that, uh, their schedule was awful. I mean, their schedule compared to Stanford or USC or, you know, an awful lot of teams. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's going to catch up with them, but they decided they'll roll the dice right now and see if they can still get away with playing, you know, um, Four home. I mean, one of the things none of them wanted to do, which the Pac-12 was willing to do, is if you play a nine-game schedule, one year, it's it's not that hard to figure out. One year, you're only going to get four home games, and you got five on the road, and that 
freak them out. I mean, not only do they not want to leave their time zone, not only do they not ever want to cross the Mississippi River, they don't ever want to have four, only four league uh, home games and have to go on the road five times, even if it's just a bus trip. Uh, that That's just not what they do in the SEC. So it's going to take, I think, one of them not making it before they're going to actually join the rest of the world and play nine games. I mean, they've tried to, you know, tell everybody how great they are, how eight games in the SEC is, is more than nine games in the Pac-12. And every, nobody believes them anymore at this point, I don't think. They're more good quarterbacks. For example, uh, you just look at the, the quarterbacks and the diversity of offenses you have to face in the Pac-12 compared to, you know, where the SEC has been. They're going to try to get up to speed a little bit, but uh, – uh, I think it's going to bite them in the butt in the near future, uh, their schedule policies. I think it really is. We'll see what happens there. But, yeah, a lot of outrage about the SEC and how they're scheduling and all that kind of stuff. Um, we got one last one, Dan. This is a, a basketball question, though. Uh, departure of the basketball team's uh, senior scoring leader is very troublesome to me. There has been much hype about the new players coming in this fall that were recruited by Coach Andy Enfield, who are only going to make this team better? If so, why would your best player leave? Also, uh, JT Terrell uh, didn't have as good of a year as he did when Bob Cantu let him play his game, and uh, Omar Orby never performed as well as he did under Cantu either. More to the point, we have yet to see the run-and-gun offense that Enfield promised. It makes you wonder about how confident he is in his coaching ability. Why wouldn't he have them run his offense. I, I've been trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but isn't this unprecedented But isn't this unprecedented for a player of Wesley's caliber to use three years of eligibility only to leave USC to go to a winning program? That's uh, actually Earl in West L.A. again. He had a basketball question, too. Yeah, Earl, that's a good question. <laughs> and the fact that you're asking that question is worrisome a little bit. If I were – I mean, I, I don't think they needed to have a year – where they didn't get some building going out. I think they built with, you know, the recruits. Okay. I think that was uh, a little bit of a building, uh, you know, and a step forward, no question, a step forward. And to be able to get local kids like Jordan McLaughlin and compete for them, uh, you know, bring in some out of, you know, out of state kids. To, we'll see how the, re- how the transfers work out. But, uh, but to kind of lose, the older kids, the you know the transfers who came in and played a year, the uh, you know your like you said JT or um, you know you've got uh, you know Omar, uh, and then to lose Wesley. I mean, basically you've wiped out all the upperclassmen that they inherited, and uh, uh, and I'm not sure you built a sense of what is USC basketball going to look like? I mean, are you still selling kids on Gulf, you know, Florida Gulf Coast and showing a video of the tournament, you know, the year before and saying that's what we're going to look like? And then the question is, where was that or an attempt to play like that this year? And I know there was a player fit in terms of the players didn't fit. And, and we, we really couldn't do it. I don't have a, a really good answer for you, Earl, but I know it's a question. You're not the only one asking asking that question, and and we'll see. Uh, I think they can still be pretty good. I mean, heck, UCLA's now kind of lost just about all their upper 
upper class guys, even if they were only second year guys. But uh, you know, USC might not be starting you know too far behind them. But I think UCLA, you got a sense of this is how Steve Alford wants to play. Uh, and I don't know that we got a sense of this is how Andy Enfield wants to play. I think it's the the really big challenge, you know, for him going forward and for this basketball team to say. This is who we are. This is how we win games. This is how we're going to try to play. Uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right to ask that question, and it's up to you know Andy and, and the guys to, to answer it for you. All right, Dan. Well, good stuff, and I appreciate you uh, joining us. I know you had to be downtown for uh, for some business reasons, so thank you for uh, – coming on the cell phone we get to hear a siren or two in the background we don't we yeah don't <laughs> motorcycles and sirens and helicopters and uh, man there's nothing like downtown la who says la doesn't have a downtown <laughs> absolutely and you do have to find the right exact spot to get your uh your cell signal out here but uh uh it's, it's kind of neat actually kind of enjoying it all right. Well, thanks again, and uh, check out. You go to the flower district down there. Get your wife Diane some flowers, maybe. Or there's the jewelry there stuff. Go. Jewelry stuff down there. There's all kinds of stuff you can do. It's good. There is a nice flower. That's actually a good idea. There is a big uh, flower stand uh, right here at the at the water court. So, very good idea. Thank okay. you. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you don't have to tell Diane. I told you that. So that's <laughs> okay. Give her my best, and uh, thanks again, Dan, for coming on the show, and everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning into the Parastyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all again next week. You've been listening to the Parastyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on parastylepodcast.com or search for Parastyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.